Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of video games you can complete in an evening or a weekend, but more importantly, the kind of games that that dare to try things that larger, high-budget AAA-type games just can't try. Uh, or dare to try things that were in vogue in the 80s and are pretty much exclusively the, the purview of shows like ours now. I guess that's true. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my full complement of co-hosts. Uh, Laura Nash, how are you doing? I'm doing terrific. I was just in Chicago visiting Laura, and we had a ton of fun. Thank you so much for uh, for hosting me in uh, in Chicago. Of course. I don't think of any... I can think of anybody else who would visit me and spend five hours on the prettiest day inside an arcade. <laughs> it was it the prettiest day ever, but... Um... Yeah, it, I'm glad we were able to monopolize so much of your time, and uh, and we had a great time. And Laura completely destroyed me at pinball. Um, I I refuse to believe that you're not in there every day sharpening those pinball skills. Sure, the bar that's completely across town from my apartment. I definitely hang out there nightly. Would you say she's a pinball wizard? It has to be a trick. It has to be a trick. Such Boo. a supple wrist. Boo. And I am joined also Ugh, by Nate Ew. Heininger. How are you doing, oh. Nate? Well, I was doing better <laughs> until that. <laughs> oh. It's gone downhill. But I'm glad to be here. You don't like the phrase supple wrist? I, Nate has supple oh. wrists, too. I have little tiny wrists. So, <laughs> Were you medium small for your Apple Watch? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> have you received it yet just kind of throw no, it out there yet. okay yet. uh even even the uh the mighty apple employee has to wait like a like a peasant for his apple watch to arrive that's how it, that's how it feels mm-hmm. very very peasantry mm-hmm. having to wait for my apple watch are you wearing a watch right now no okay do you look at your wrist with shame and disgust often but that happened before because they're so small Mm. I'm constantly disgusted and ashamed. So, well, the watch should help bulk it up, so it feels it more manly. It'll it distract it from up, your uh, supple wrists. Well, except for more people are going to be looking at it. So, I gave up wearing a watch many years ago, but I've never broken the habit of actually looking at my wrist when I want to know the time. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh, yep, it's ha- still still hair past the freckle. Mm-hmm. Mole o'clock. And I am joined, right. of course, also by my brother and real-life bro host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Um, yeah, life is life is great, man. Awesome. So this week we're talking about something a little unusual for us, uh, although we've kind of talked about interactive fiction before on this show. We had a whole interactive fiction episode that we'll link to in the show notes with some general thoughts about interactive fiction and some recommendations. This week... We've decided to cover the, as best as we're able, uh, we're going to cover the games that are featured in Spring Thing 2015. So we mentioned in the interactive fiction episode a few of the different interactive fiction competitions and festivals that happen throughout the year. And um, we've kind of decided that maybe it'd be an interesting thing for our show to start covering those festivals and competitions in a little more detail. Uh, And the most convenient one, the one that just happened or is ongoing right now is spring thing 2015 yes it's seasonal it is spring and it's a thing yeah it's so seasonal that it actually the um nominations for ribbons the audience competition uh ended last night at midnight perfect 
You know, one of the things that struck me when I got ready to start this episode, start, you know, picking a game to, to play and, and recording was just just how good the kind of Google space for this particular contest is. If you Google the word spring thing, there's a thousand things that could show up, but it's actually this interactive fiction competition. That is kind of weird, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah, I was trying to find it earlier today, and I kept thinking it was spring fling, and that was taking <laughs> me in many different directions before I finally realized what it was actually called. So this competition is kind of an offshoot of the biggest interactive fiction competition, which we mentioned for sure in our interactive fiction episode, and that's IF Comp, or the Interactive Fiction Competition, kind of boringly named. Um, the IF Comp uh, happens once a year, and the 2015 one hasn't uh, occurred yet. I don't think we have nominees or anything yet. Um, there's also a pretty big award called the Zizzy Award. That's X-Y-Z-Z-Y -Z -Z -Y Awards. And the 2014 awards were just handed out this month in April. So we can talk a little bit about the winners of those awards as well, uh, as well as the upcoming uh, honorees of the Spring Thing 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 Thing. Um, Spring Thing actually has switched over from being a competition to being a festival. I'm not really entirely clear on what the... Uh, what the actual difference is in this context? Well, there are two awards given out instead of one. I don't know if that means it's now a festival, but one is basically alumni, meaning if you have ever submitted a story or a piece of interactive fiction to the competition, you can vote on the awards in the alumni award. And everybody else, all of us bougie folk hmm. who don't have our Apple Watches yet, can vote <laughs> For the audience award. So interactive fiction for the Apple Watch called it. Oh, oh no, it's going to be great. That would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> By great, I mean terrible. So the uh, the Zizzy Awards, which were announced in April, April 27th of this year, uh, a bunch of really interesting stuff won. Um, some things that I've played and some things that I hadn't actually heard of until looking at the results of the awards. Um, Best game this year was 80 Days from Inkle. I can't, I, I, I cannot say how excited I was to see that this had won best game. Such an amazing game. We did a whole episode on it. So if you are interested in it, go back and listen to that. But holy shit, that game was great. Yeah, fantastic game. I wasn't even, I was unfortunately not on that episode. And I listened, I normally listen to the episodes anyway, even if I'm not on them. But that one, I was like really excited to hear you guys talk about it. I loved that game. I went back and played it again recently um, and got a whole new ending, a whole new path. It's so addictive. It's the only interactive fiction I've ever felt that way about where I wanted to play it over and over and over again to try new things. And, and it felt like a completely different story every time with new discoveries every time I played it. So it won best game and best story, which is really surprising considering how sort of fractured and, and you know, almost... Um, particulate the story of that game is you know it's it feels like you're assembling a story out of a, a series of fragments and it really does still hang together as a as a narrative think of it as best stories yeah yeah exactly it's it's like a story generator more so than an actual story so it's funny for it to be able to win best story when it's like okay which one did you play that makes you feel it was worthy of best story because mm -hmm. there's like a thousand different options the fact that you can have that and have it i i mean generate a, a great story every time is kind of the definition of interactive fiction good good storytelling and interaction fiction 
is kind of the definition of good storytelling in interactive <laughs> fiction. Yeah. Well, I heard that um, the key to a good sitcom is you have to have a joke engine. There's some kind of reason why these people together are funny. And I think that 80 Days, they figured out, you know, kind of the location engine of, mm. you know, how to kind of make every single stop feel like a unique experience and listen to the full episode we loved it yeah and i'll try to throw a link in the show notes to um meg janth uh, the the writer the lead writer or whatever of uh, of 80 days over at inkle did a gdc talk um we had seen a bunch of tweets about it but they finally released the actual video of it and i watched the whole thing it was like an hour and 15 minutes or something um and if you liked the game and you want to hear the lead writer talk about you know, the process of creating it and some of the thinking that went into it and give you some really interesting insights into how the game achieves the things that it does. It's a fascinating video. So um, definitely check that out in the show notes. A few other great things won awards in this year's XYZZY Awards. Um, Hadean Lands, which I know that I mentioned on the show and I haven't finished yet because I got really badly stuck, um, is on here a number of times. I'm about to go back to it because I just recently found out that somebody finally put together an actual walkthrough. Um, so I'll see if I can drop a link to that in the show notes. Hadean Lands is out on iOS, but it's also something you can play on your computer. You can play it in a browser if you do the right things. Um, <laughs> and it's a uh, it's a really, really complicated, really, really in-depth, absolutely fascinating puzzle-driven interactive fiction with an interpreter-type interface, so you're typing commands to it. Um, and the idea is that you're basically learning this very complicated alchemy system in order to cast a bunch of spells to save your, your you know, sort of scuttled um, uh, spaceship. It's like a spell and alchemy-based spaceship. Um, it won best setting, it won best puzzles, it won best implementation, it won best use of innovation, and something else on the list here too, no, maybe that's it. Um, but really astonishingly clever and user-friendly puzzle design. It was hard, but it was never hard because you know, I was beating my head against the parser or anything like that. It was what incredibly well designed. What would you say well was the reason that it won best use of innovation as the only one here that I think has played it, Reagan. Well, I think that the the key innovation of the game is that it kind of stacks its puzzles in this sort of matroshka kind of way. Um, so like you have to figure out how to, for example, you know, if you need to, um, uh, one of the earliest puzzles in the game is that you need to remove tarnish from a brass object. And the first time you do that, it requires this very complex um, set of instructions. You have to say a particular phrase and you have to put the brass object into a special container and you have to do all these like complex spells, essentially. And that might be 10 or 15 steps. It might be quite complex and it might require a lot of things. But then if you have to do that again, at any time you can just say, do this incantation or do this spell or whatever. And it just uh -huh. does it. It doesn't require all the steps in between. Um, so in a sense, you're kind of adding these spells to your inventory and you can do more and more complex spells. By the end, you're doing these rituals that if you had to do every step would take hours and hours and hours and do take hours and hours of in-game time. But you're able to just say, do this. And then it describes for you every single step of what you just did. Sometimes it'll print out a page and a half of steps that your <laughs> character goes through. But it just does it. It's very smart. And that's so basically object oriented interactive fiction. That's a really good way of putting it. It's it's object oriented. It's um, object oriented alchemy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super smart and clever. So I, I would say it was the most innovative 
innovative puzzle design I've seen in uh, in a parser based game or really in almost any game I've ever played. Um, and didn't it have like a really good uh, presentation in terms of like use of a map? Am I mistaken about that? The iOS version does. It has a nice. Uh, now nah, that's actually not super new. Um, uh, Andrew Plotkin has done that with all of his conversions of his games over to iOS. He has sort of an interactive map. Um, which helps a lot because then you can just tap a spot on the map and your character will go north, south, south, east, east, you know, like it'll go there. Um, but uh, yeah, beautiful. everything about the game was designed to let you focus on the puzzles and not have to focus on the actual actions of doing things. It's very smart. So other things that ended up on that list, uh, there's a bunch of really cool games on here that I haven't played and haven't really checked out at all. Um, but I can see that... Um, the Uncle Who Works for Nintendo, which is a Twine game that I played and absolutely loved, ended up on the list. I still with... want to play that one. And, and there's another one here that won a couple of awards with Those We Love Alive, which got Best Individual NPC for The Empress and Best Writing. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. That's been on my list to play for a while, and I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, and also I see that um, Creatures Such As We... Uh, one for best NPCs, and I just played that on the plane back from uh, from Chicago. Laura, I think you played that, right? Yeah, it's a uh, mentioned it briefly in the last uh, interactive fiction episode, but it is about uh, having a terrible job on the moon and kind of dating someone who you're uh, a tour guide of. Not really dating, but kind of flirting with him because you can't date people you're giving tours for. Or her, but you have like six romance options. Yeah, but you're you're giving a tour to someone who developed your favorite video game, um, and you get to talk to the different creators of the game. So a lot of the conversation is about art, video games, and what you get by playing them. Yeah, it's really interesting in that um, I think the writer of the game, Linnea Gassler, she's a she's a writer for uh, Bioware. Really interesting. That would make a lot of sense based on <clears throat> how the story goes. It does because the the sort of central. Um, plot of the game kind of revolves around the idea that the main character, your character, has this shit job on the moon, plays this uh, plays this game that has basically a bad ending or an ending that he doesn't like. And it tears him up because he was really empathizing with the characters. And you sort of play through this in the game. And then the developers <laughs> of the game show up and you spend most of the rest of the game internally struggling with why did they choose to give it a bad ending and then talking to the various developers of the game about the game that they developed. (laughs) And it's all sort of about how do people connect with each other through art? Is art, you know, does, does art belong to the creator or to the, um, or, you know, or to the, the artist? Um, what is the artist's responsibility towards the expectations of the player or, or, you know, or viewer? It's really fascinating, and it does this as a part of a romance game, as a part of basically a dating sim. Um, yeah, you get to opt in as you can uh, talk about art for art's sake and video games for art's sake as much as you want, or you can just bypass it and want to talk about mechanics, depending on who you want to talk to, how you want to play, and how you approach video games. Wow. So you don't have to be pretentious if you don't want to. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. It made me think a lot about the the controversy around Bioshock excuse me, not Bioshock, um, con- the controversy around um, Mass, Mass Effect, Effect 3. 3, yeah, um, because it kind of mirrors that. You know, you're, you're talking up the developers of this game who had an ending that you didn't like and talking with them about, well, why was the ending like this rather than like this? And, like, the ending that I got to in the playthrough that I got 
I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but basically you're talking the, in the ending that I got the, um, so here's a mini spoiler break, fast forward 30 seconds. If oh, you God. don't want to hear about it. Um, I ended up sort of romancing the writer of the game and she was telling me about how, um, she, um, uh, uh, basically the ending was she patched the game to let the player write their own ending. And then you got this sense of like, well, is this a real ending or is it not? Is it better to be able to kind of determine your own fate in a video game? Even if that means that then you're, you know, you, you're losing out on the artist's intent. Um, it was a really interesting kind of echo of the, the results of the controversy around the ending of Mass Effect 3, and it was really, really interesting. And, you know, romance. Gosh, that's like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even consider that something so meta could possibly exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, I was kind of laughing a minute ago. Like, you pointed out that you have the option to skip some of that stuff, and, like, I started having, like, flashbacks to my art history class <laughs> in college and like like oh is this toilet actually art like oh yeah there's definitely yeah you know a- i actually skipped all the romance options in my college art classes <laughs> uh, well you missed out that. <laughs> yeah uh there, that's such a fine line to walk between interesting dialogue and like pretentious douchebaggery and oh, yeah. so like I, it sounds like they've done it well but like man that that gives always gives me like a little like a twitch a little bit when i hear well there's also like um moon explosions you have to save people from moon explosions so that's pretty cool <laughs> well yeah and you say a shitty job on the moon and i'm sitting here like what's a shitty job on the moon i don't know it's on the moon <laughs> it sounds great so like this game sounds cool but like i, I just whenever someone says like what is art and who does it belong to i just start to like twinge just a little bit just, <laughs> just just waiting for like the endless discussions from art class that were just never fun i i totally yeah, know what you mean but this ended up being really a, a highlight for me so well good it's easy the uh, z how do you say I it think z- zizzy the X-Y, zizzy awards Z-Z-Y. had to mm-hmm. yeah just take that back. Sure. Unpronounceable no. name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zizzy Awards had no love for uh, Keisha Warrior Princess. Ah. <laughs> I haven't played that yet, but after, really? after our discussion of uh, uh, Laura and I played a card game while I was in town called um, Slash. Oh, Slash. So cool. You, you take two cards and there's different characters from different TV shows or media or history. And you basically uh, try to explain why your pairing is the one true pairing. Yeah, it's like and cards I had seen a warrior humanity princess Keisha of... based on this twine game, and Reagan didn't support me. <laughs> I am so sorry. Ugh. It was uh, it was basically Cards Against Humanity meets slash fiction. Totally fun game. Highly recommended. Um, so I also recommend Keisha Warrior Princess because it's uh, but you must have headphones and you might get a seizure. Because yeah, there's lots that, of glitter. That has my uh, that has my vote for most innovation in uh, in interactive fiction in that it has like the best use of the blink tag and gifs. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I'm gonna have to play Spectacular. that Spectacular. So yeah. uh, it's it's a laser light show. It, they should project it on the roof of a, of the Coliseum to, in order to play it properly. So the Zizzy Awards. Uh, 
have their results out. We can also uh, briefly mention that the IF Comp Awards for last year, the 2014 awards, are also out. They were announced a little while earlier. Anybody play any of the items on that list? I know that I played creatures such as we. We already discussed it at one second place, but I haven't played anything else on this list. Obviously, this is the bigger um, competition because there are 30, no, 42 uh, games on the list. And I've only heard of the top three or four. I have not played, yeah. Yep, not, not, none of us have played any of them except for yeah. creatures such as we. Uh, this will have to be uh, uh, shortly on my list. So IF Comp is very exciting. We're going to do our best in this coming year to cover the IF Comp um, nominees and try to uh, try to bring you some of that uh some of those upcoming games in the in the 2015 IF comp, but we don't have much to say about it. But Spring Thing uh, is upon us, and uh, the games that are featured are, um, we've done our best to kind of play as many of these as we could, but not all of them, and there's not that many. Um, we've There's a game called Toby's Nose by Chandler Groover. Shane, how would you describe Toby's Nose? Toby's Nose is a game where uh, you're playing the part of Sherlock Holmes's trusty dog, the dog with the wonderful mystery-solving nose, Toby. Uh, it's a kind of a one-room puzzle game, but it's also an exploration-based game. So the, the interesting thing about this game is that uh, because you're playing it by exploring all the smells in the room with your nose, it's a game where things feel very expansive and you've got all this kind of room to explore you know, smells and smells within smells and the associations of those smells and the scenes from which those smells came. Uh, but you do it all while just walking around this one parlor. There's like a dead guy in the center of the room and someone in the room did it. Interesting. And this was this is played in a parser, right? Yeah, it's, it's parser based. Um, although you basically only need one verb, which is smell. One letter, <laughs> the S. Yeah, yeah. You can hit S and then anything. Uh, and you will be smelling smelling anything and everything. And uh, the the interesting thing about it, kind of the structure wise, is that it's um, it's sort of a puzzle game, sort of exploration. And the key thing that you're doing is, you know, you're sniffing an object, and it's giving you a description of that object's smell. But Toby's amazing nose can parse out the kind of different individual components of that smell. So when you get the description of a smell, you can smell all of the other elements of that smell, you know? So if, if it says that the body smells of... It is. It's like mega smellception. <laughs> there are smells within smells within smells. And... Um, and prostitutes within smells. <laughs> and you know, what's, what's hilarious to me about it is like the way that sometimes you'll find this sort of like avenue within like a smell where something opens up and it's like a whole incredible scene like spills out in front of you from this one smell. Like, um, you know, it, it takes you takes you to a completely different place and you can smell all of the things in that different place just by sniffing in and, and you know, diving into this to this odor. I won't spoil any of the of the puzzle. I had trouble with the puzzles because, uh, and I'll just confess this now, I, uh, you, you, you have two real things you do. You sniff everything in the room in extraordinary depth, and then you bark at someone to accuse them of being the murderer. 
And <laughs> I accused basically everyone in the room of being the murderer uh, incorrectly uh, because there are a lot of red herring smells. I mean, there, there's not actually the smell of herring, although I'm sure he could have smelled that if anyone had even like walked past one in the last week. Uh, but there are lots of kind of blind alleys to that they lead you down. Many of them are kind of suspicious uh, and to kind of cast blame on all the different people in the room and you learn their histories and things. And um, so I, I highly recommend it. It also has a feature where you can turn on footnotes uh, to kind of call out all of the mystery genre and Holmes story references that the game has. Uh, the oh, writing cool. is really great. Um, and it's full of references to kind of the actual stories on which this, this story is based. The character of Toby is actually pretty funny. The idea of, you know, Sherlock Holmes carrying around a mystery solving dog is very <laughs> Scooby-Doo and hilarious. And you can do some, some very funny dog things like, you know, you'll, you'll sniff around and eventually you'll discover that there's, that someone has dropped a, uh, a biscuit under a table. And everyone really disapproves when you like l lunge upon it and eat it before anyone else can uh, can stop you. <laughs> um, there's a really funny bit where um, where Toby smells some chocolate, and you know he's a very kind of noble sounding. He's he's got the kind of Sherlock Holmes tone to him, but he's a dog, so he's like, "Why would something so dangerous smell so delectable?" <laughs> referring to the chocolate, and um, yeah, so it, it, I, it has my it has my sincere stamp of approval it was super great um even though i basically brute forced the puzzle <laughs> I enjoyed I'm, the... I'm a bad dog guys i'm a bad dog <laughs> i enjoyed the opening Aww. setup too where poor toby um he was the player just wants to do all these things and holmes is mono holmes is monologuing and you can't do anything you could try to sit and he'll be like Holmes does not want you to sit, and he'll keep talking. <laughs> you can try to bark, and he'll just be like, not now, and he'll keep talking. Yes. If you try to interrupt the exposition by doing anything, Holmes is just like, no, no, no. Bad dog, yeah, Toby. The why they the made show. that choice. You, uh, you, you, can't, uh, you, can't interrupt, you can't jump in and start solving the mystery before uh, Holmes is done giving his kind of exposition. But uh, uh, and, and that kind of did bug me a little bit, but I mean, you know, they, they do a really good job of writing Holmes and Watson, and um, you know, I'd never thought so much about what Watson's mustache smelled like. <laughs> that really sounds fun, and I, I'm kind of bummed I didn't get a chance to play it. I'll try and go back and do it. About how long did it take you to play? Um, I played it in probably less. Well, it's definitely less than two hours. Um, it's playable online. Mm -hmm. Um. Julia, my wife, and I kind of sat down and tried to play through it together, and I felt like we probably played it for about an hour and a half, but we were significantly distracted by other things in the meanwhile. Mm. I, th I think that's one of the neat things about the Spring Thing Festival. It's a smaller list by a lot than the full IF comp. Um, and it's also almost exclusively games that are, first off, their rules require that the game be completely brand new and debut as a part of the festival. Um, and also their rules require that it be um, uh, free and available on the Interactive Fiction database or on the Spring Thing website. So um, because of that, most of these games are very short. Uh, I don't think any of the ones that I played were things that you couldn't complete in an hour um, or less. And so it's they're all very short experiences and they are um, they're free. So that's nice. Um, 
Laura, any thoughts about Toby's nose that we didn't chime in there? Uh, not really. I think that the uh, smellception is a really fun mechanic because you can uh, delve a lot deeper into it than you would ever imagine. And I think that's part of the uh, the charm and part of what makes it really difficult because you can... I think when you find the clue that will actually solve it, it's a big surprise. But I think you might think you've solved it many, many times when mm, you're just I establishing red herring alibis for people. Gotcha. Well, um, I played several of the games here, but I spent the most time with a game called Sunrise. Um, Sunrise. Ooh. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually kind of excited about this because... I don't know if I've really confessed this on the show yet, but um, I love games with romance in them. Just love it. Any game with a romance angle. It's adorable. I, well, you know, I, I my heart goes pitter-pat, and um, yeah. you know, I played Mass Effect exclusively for the romance. And You're a lover. <laughs> You're a- <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love romance games, and so I was kind of excited to see that there was a romance game on this list. Um, I wasn't totally... Um, I wasn't totally st- stunned by it, but I think it's it's interesting in a few ways. So the game was Sunrise by Lucky Sun Scribes, which is a collaboration of a few different uh, like sort of groups that create um, visual novels. So it's done very much in the style of a visual novel, also known as a, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, dating sim but without much of the simulation-y stuff. Uh, it's made in a system called RenPy, which I've encountered before, but basically it's a Python-based game development tool that lets you create these visual novels with full graphics. That's unusual for the sort of interactive fiction we're looking at here. Um, full graphics in that it has you know little uh, paper doll cutouts of your characters. There are background scenes, um, but you're primarily still reading and choosing from menus. Sunrise has a really, really interesting setting and a really, really interesting cast of characters. So um, you're playing. It's also got a really nice art style. It looks very um, kind of combination of paper cutouts with really beautiful portraiture and kind of painterly style. Yeah. Very, uh, very colorful, limited, but beautiful color palette. Yeah, really nice it is super pretty. Um, and basically, uh, your main character uh, is the only daughter of a destitute noble family in a, uh, what do you call this? Um, uh, in like a, well, they, they call it a diesel punk world. So it's a sort of a strange take on a fantasy world Um Fashion-wise and technology-wise, it seems somewhere in the 1930s. And the setting is the American West. But it's a it's a society with a king, and there's magic, and it's this very strange setting. So um, uh, the uh, Lady Sodia... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Sophia. There was a typo on the page I was reading there. It was Sophia. Hang on a second. Let me grab my notes here. Sorry, I want to get the name. Here, um, I found a forum topic that you could probably just use for names if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, that's basically what I'm looking for because I remember the story. I mean, you don't need their blood type. Yeah. That's also in there. Great. <laughs> yes, you do need their blood type. <laughs> you know, I still have never... I, I Conceptually, I understand that, like, that in these sorts of romance games and, like, visual novel style that for some reason blood type seems to be, like as important as like 
where you grew up. It's like your astrological <laughs> sign. There's there's this weird Japanese belief, and I don't I don't think it's one that people take seriously. But it's just like how people have like an astrological sign that no one really takes seriously, but they publish uh, a you know uh, horoscope in the newspaper anyway. Uh, it's the same kind of thing in Japan. There's this belief that your um, your blood type says something about your personality, and uh, there's there's things that people assume based on your blood type in media they publish it just to sort of say hey he's got type o which means he's a you know a mystery or something gonna be know. hard to get a transfusion <laughs> yep <laughs> so in sunrise um it's got this great setting and the characters are pretty interesting too uh you've got uh sophia the princess of a sort of down on their luck noble family in this uh, uh in this world and she has strong ties to the royal family, uh, to Abel, the older brother who is, you know, soon to be the king, uh, who she loved as a child, but who she has kind of grown cold towards uh, as he's displayed a uh, explosive personality and kind of an angry disposition. Um, and she's now engaged to the younger brother, Shy, and that's a weird spelling. And um, he's he's nice, but but sexually boring. You know, you get the sense that she's settling for the for the younger brother, um, even though she would rather have the more exciting older brother. And um, the setup is all really good. Um, the f It's sort of broken up into three chapters. It's very short, maybe about two hours. I played it through um, three times. There are three different endings, and I got two of them. Um, I really enjoyed the story. Uh, it's kind of a fantasy story with a lot of fairy tale elements. So, for example, and I hope this is, won't be spoiling too much, um, at about the end of the second act, you're transformed into an owl and you have to spend the rest of the act, um, you know, communicating things through owl gestures and uh, <laughs> a lot of asking who. <laughs> uh, figuring out how many licks it takes to the center of a uh, Tootsie Pop. Uh, precisely. And uh, and the yeah. answer will surprise you. Um, <laughs> but, Three. Uh, it, Three. It really was... Uh, it was a good story. And it was beautiful art. And the writing was pretty okay. But I think my biggest problem with the game, which is why I, I can't necessarily recommend it unless you're into this sort of game, is that it's... Uh, it's choices were incredibly trivial um so for example you know th there's very very few places where you get to make choices in the game um you know and they really only crop up about three or four times throughout the game where you get to actually make a choice of almost any kind um and then some of them are completely you know trivial like for example as an owl, you have to go and find the older brother. Where could he be in the in the castle? You have three options: the courtyard, his room, or I don't know, someplace else. And you can go to Was one of those places room? and he's not there. And you can go to the second place and he's not there. But if you go to the courtyard, oh, he's there. It's like that's not a choice. I was just checking things off a list until I found where he was, and he's always in the courtyard. So it doesn't really count as a choice then, did it? Um so it has, it's incredibly light on choices and decision making. Um, and really the, the ending that you get comes down largely to right at the end, you get to decide 
Well, one brother is, I don't want to spoil this, again, skip forward if you if you don't want to hear a spoiler, uh, you're largely just sort of deciding which brother to end up with, um, based on which one you save the life of, or whether you sacrifice your own life. It's like, yeah, it, 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 it's, in, it's a well-told story, but it's not a great game as a game. I think I could have easily gotten the same story out of a comic or a short story or something. Um, the mechanics-wise, I thought it was very slim on actual choice and branching. So the all-important question is, where does this fall in the uh, sensuality scale from uh, Regency to Blaze? Oh, I really wanted more um, more bodice ripping and more... Um, more heaving? There was no heaving bosoms. <laughs> Also, one of the brothers was so evil and such a D-bag, even to the very end, that he never really felt like a viable option. So while I tried one playthrough where I kind of wanted to end up with him, it was it's, it's not a great romance, you know? You've got a wet noodle, or you've got an evil psychopath, and those are your choices. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a great romance either. That's kind of true to, I think, the the female experience, though. You're either going to the D-bag or a psychopath, a, a wet yeah. noodle or a psychopath. That's it's hard deep. out here for a lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you're transformed into an owl. Yeah, mostly it's hard out here for an owl. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Let alone a lady owl, I guess, is what we're trying to say. So uh, oh, yeah. I, I think it's an interesting game, and it shows a lot of skill in the creation. The art was great, and they did some visual stuff that I didn't see in any of the other games uh, in in the competition um, because they were using that different engine. But uh, I, I, eh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you like that sort of game, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on these guys. They've got skills, but this particular experience, um, not not amazing. So what game do we want to talk about next? How about you go, Nate? Okay, so I played a trial that was made by B-7. It was purely a text-based game, and I think I'm the only one that played this, right? No one. I'm else afraid so. This? I wanted to play it, but haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, so it's purely text. Um, I haven't really done any other Twine games, nor do I have very much experience with interactive fiction, so you'll have to pardon my lack of knowledge of the, uh, you know... The mechanics, the words for the mechanics, but basically, as you're reading it, certain words are bolded, and you can click on that bolded letter or that bolded word to move forward. Sometimes there's only one thing on the screen bolded, sometimes there's two, three, four different things. Um, my first instinct or my first impression of the game was it, it appeared to maybe be a little, um, I want to read something for you, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. So, like, the very first thing you read is the Center for Media Designation, CMD, has given this text game a rating of DIS for disassociation, dysphoria, and disassembled discourse. (laughs) Edit, the CMD adds discredit for the author's willful misuse of language, Hmm. which... It's kind of clever. It's also like getting real close to that thing I was talking about earlier, actually, with like like really lame people in college. Like, like oh, this is rated R for like racism and radical opinions. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, 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 it kind of got kind of close to that. But you can see the world that this game lived in, which is kind of the like, I don't know, George Orwell, 1984, kind of like every everything is really really big all the like 
like everything has a really long name and then is abbreviated right after it. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, the Center for Media Designation, it's CMD. And so like everywhere you go, it's always some crazy long name. And basically your goal is you take control of this character who has lost his name for whatever reason, his or her name. Uh, you've been, it's like kind of in, in, implies that like the government took your name away and now you are classified as nameless. And your job is to get to, it's like the center of reassigning or something like that. Your job is to get across town and get there and get a new name. And along the way, you face a trial of sorts of many different things getting in your way. Uh, There's no real puzzle to this game at all, but there's 13 different endings. And I actually only got one different ending, but every time I played this game... I got to the same place, but in a very different way. So I don't, I didn't play it. I didn't play it a lot of times. Each run only took maybe 10, 15 minutes. And actually, once you start hitting some of the same screens, it's a lot of text. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like a wall of text and you kind of click through it. Um, So I don't really know how much, like, if some of them are like secret endings or if it's like, again, I didn't play it a ton. But um, I, it was interesting that I tried very hard to go a different way and ultimately ended with the same ending on my two different runs. It seems pretty interesting. The description on the, uh, on the Spring Thing page is, a trial is a chimera of prose, poetry, and question, question, question marks. Lots of question marks. So I think they're definitely going for something a little more experimental there rather than a strictly narrative experience. Um, but... Yeah, it looks pretty interesting. It's a, a Twine game, so, you know, hypertext and lots of, you know, you can play this on anything. If it's that short, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Yeah, and, I, like, I kind of got a, it gave a bad taste in my mouth with that first thing. That's like, <laughs> uh, rated dis for that, but it actually, it turns out to be um, a lot clever, more clever than that. Um, it basically makes a lot of jokes like that, though. Like, and I don't know if jokes is the right word, but like the whole thing is kind of written like that. It sounds and sort it, of Kafka esque in, in its yeah, yeah, definitely. Like at, at one point, um, you enter into a like a statue park where the laws of the land are written on all the statues, and it's like page after page of the different laws, and you're just reading them. You're just working your way through. It's pretty interesting, but some of them are like. Um, you can't park here on Tuesdays. And then another one is like a whole entire page of the use of magic in a like on this property. And it, it, it's all over the place. And that actually leads you to eventually a quiz to prove that you're actually where you're supposed to be, which I'm thinking you can't really get wrong. But it tells you to you read a, a set of of pros and then you have four answers and you're supposed to answer the the first thing like whichever those you know seems to be right and as far as i could tell there was no pre-knowledge of these things like there's no way you could go back play the game and get these answers right you're just supposed to answer the first thing that seems right to you and one of them was uh the lyrics to a rihanna song (laughs) it was it was umbrella and and it was like caught me off guard because it's like under my umbrella under my umbrella and i'm like wait is that really and i looked it up and yeah it was the it was four lines from a rihanna song and then the answers were all nonsensical and not the next line in the rihanna song (laughs) so it wasn't it wasn't a like you know you're not i think there were other connections i'm sure that wasn't i'm I'm sure there was a lot of actual like 
literary. Can I just say that the um, the so all of these games have a little bit of art, kind of to designate them on the Spring Thing homepage. Uh, this guy really needs to take better care of his boots. <laughs> yeah, those are some really nice looking boots, and they just they just need a little love and care, a little mink oil, and some some black polish. <laughs> That's looking pretty gross. They're also on a stove. Yeah, I think yeah. he might eat those boots. Yeah, it's worth a playthrough. Um, like I said, it, it goes really fast. Um, it's interesting. There's some really good writing. Uh, at one point, you're told a story of a a, a girl who's so beautiful. Her face is as is is as lovely as a second sun, like S U N. And then the uh, the line followed up. It's in parentheses. It says, "Most children as lovely as second suns end up human supernova." And they were saying that like most beautiful people end up being crazy, basically, um, and how they went a they went about having her like treated or raised properly despite the fact that she was as beautiful as the second son so mm-hmm. it, it, like there's some really cool stuff in there uh i i'd recommend at least doing one playthrough it's exact it's a that's interesting because it's an example of how people are sort of pushing for poetry in this form that was so narrative you know it's uh uh if the typical parser based interactive fiction is like akin to a a short story or something, then a lot of the stuff that people are experimenting with in Twine is pushing more towards the, you know, compilation of poems or something like that. And it's yeah, interesting this, in that way. This had, I would say, um, most of the time when we've questioned, is this a gamer or not? I've leaned towards this is a game. Um, I would say this one is not a game and purely just like an interesting way at, at, at presenting a story or story options. Like is it you like a lot of them lead you back kind of what you were saying with the one where you don't really have any real choice like even with this one a lot of the different paths will just like one of them's like there's a note in your hand and you click on that and then it's the note and then the only way out of it is right back to that page you were just on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's no I guess the game maybe would be to try to get all 13 endings but I feel like that would be a lot of work and not something that anyone would actually Maybe. I don't know that you would really commit to that and really just see what innings he got and move forward. Mm-hmm. One of the games I didn't um, play much of because I, I opened it with kind of like not my thing was Doggerland, which was pure poetry from what I could see. Um, and that was something, you know, it, it was playing with hypertext poetry where you could roll over things and they changed to images or, um, but it was just poems. Yeah. It, I didn't play that either. I don't think any of us did. And it does seem like probably the most non-game, like p- poetry primary uh, work on this list. Um, yeah, if it's your thing, if you like poetry, it's your thing. But it's not mine. We're coming to this to this competition like with, with like, we're coming looking for games. And so maybe we're not looking for the right thing here. Like the, these are an interesting interactive way to present poetry and this may be the only venue that I've really seen that's collecting this kind of thing so I think it's it's interesting to find it and it's something that I'd like to kind of tinker around with a little bit more just because it wasn't what I was looking for when I came here like just because I was I come to interactive fiction um with a past of loving you know things like puzzles like I found in Toby's nose doesn't mean that I might not love and connect with something like this Poetry's pretty personal, though. I've 
never had like a book of poetry that was assigned to me that I really connected with. And I've discovered poetry on my own that I did really connect with. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to what to say beyond like maybe it's got to be something you personally connect with to to kind of find your piece of interactive poetry. Mm-hmm. So sort of bordering between that style of poetry and sort of mysterious style versus the more gameplay oriented style um, was a game that I played a little bit uh, called Ruinous by Porpentine Charity Heartscape. And- <laughs> that's the same person that created. Um, that's the same person that created that uh, that game, uh, Crystal Warrior Kesha. That yep. uh, Porpentine Charity Heartscape about. is. Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple I- games of hers. She's she's pretty prolific, and her stuff is. Yeah, yeah she's got a popular. ton of games on her site. This game was created. Specifically Can I just for say, this. you guys have to visit her website. I just went the, there. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's my favorite website on the internet. Like I, hey, I want was... her to do web design. Can she re- can she redesign the short game site, please? <laughs> she like it has learned HTML. Yeah, she learned like HTML in like 1998. Made a website and has kept it. Yep. It's, this is awesome. Continue to my favorite thing about iterate and improve by adding uh, emoji. Hmm. Yeah, my favorite thing about Ruiness is everybody else bothered to put a blurb about what their game was. She just put a picture of like clouds or something from NASA with no summary. Yeah, no text whatsoever. And that's sort of the um, what what I thought was really interesting about it was that it plays in a vague sense, kind of similar to and not as complex as, but like you remember that feeling in a dark room where you open up the game and you don't know who you are or where you are or what you're supposed to be doing. And then you just start experimenting and you start discovering that there, there are actual goals involved and that maybe even they're like, you know, there's a world to this game. That's how this game feels. Um, you, you open it and you get a chance to choose what type of character you are. Um, and they're really, uh, great options. Like, who are you? And uh, you can choose, I am a scavenger or a dust runner. And then you can choose uh, a scavenger who is, for example, driven by magpie lust, or a scavenger who is the sole survivor of the flames of Carinth, or a scavenger who is starving and ragged. And then you can choose your species, which is either rat coin or harp self or coiler. And um, can I just say for a second, I accidentally opened Crystal Warrior Kesha. I haven't heard anything that you guys have said for the past like minute because I've just been hearing nothing but, you know, dope lyrical genius. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, and then my favorite, you get to choose for your character, your steed, whether it is a bantam, a scullipede or a lizard horse. And then God, I want to live in this girl's brain. So then uh, there I am. I'm a scavenger rat coin driven by magpie lust riding a lizard horse. And um, I find myself at a camp with a uh, with a chart tucked under my cloak. Opening the chart, I can see a map and it has just this a name of a single location on it. You can go to that location. It takes several days to get there. The days are just a little quick descriptions. You go there and basically you're collecting a, you're collecting locations on your map. Eventually you run out of options and you can start a new character. Um, and I think this game was very mysterious and very strange. I think I completed a playthrough. I'm not even totally <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, it's a fascinating game. It's very minimalist, and it has some of the strange mystery of games that I've really liked in the past, like, um, uh, um, oh, geez, what was that game we did a whole episode on? Uh, like a Dark Room. Um, but uh, it, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the 
discovery where you really feel like at the end you understand it like a dark room. So um, very interesting game. And clearly, like, I, I, I want I want more from this person. Unfortunately, apparently she writes a lot of games. So very prolific and with a really strong aesthetic. So if you if you like this person's games, then you will find a lot to like. So she actually had a game that won an award in the um, XYZZY Awards. Um, <clears throat> she won Best Writing for With Those We Love Alive. And I forgot why I hadn't played that game. And the answer is because the first line of the instructions is, before living this life, have a pen or Sharpie nearby, something that can write on skin. And I was at work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was on my lunch break. And I was pretty sure that if I showed up with things tattooed all over my body, I would get in trouble in some way. Yeah, people raved about that game, though. I still haven't played it either. And it's weirdly enough for that exact same reason. I I'm really like kind of neurotic about not writing things on my skin. I remember in high school, there was this whole thing where people would write on each other's skin for various reasons with pens and Sharpies. And that always sketched me out in a kind of an upsetting way. I did not want to allow that. And I still don't, I guess. So when I heard that it involved that, I never played it. And, um... <laughs> hey, you gotta interact with your fiction, Reagan. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, come on, man. It's 2015. But okay. a lot of people saw that as a really innovative, um, interesting tack on the game I, I think i'd love to play it so maybe i'll finally get around to wrapping my arm in some plastic wrap and uh and give the game a shot soon maybe you can get someone to lend you their arm yeah use the dog oh so i think we've now talked about all of them except mere anarchy which i know laura you played yes so uh mere anarchy is uh kind of a blend between a couple of different types of games we've seen before. It is definitely a uh, short story driven game. Um, there are some choices, although I ended up with similar endings. My relationships to the people in the game were different. So the same outcome, but the way you were supposed to feel about it, I think was very different. My, my reasons for taking my actions were different. And my, um, my reasoning for, you know, completing those actions were different, even if I ended up with a similar outcome. Uh, the blurb on the site I don't like much, but I found a separate one that he wrote, which is, you know, the backstory summary is, postmodern sorcery is hard enough without secretive cabals of ultra-privileged mages treating the rest of us like dirt. <laughs> I like that. It's true. It's yeah. true. So the, the game is basically um, told between two different time periods. Um, something goes terribly wrong in your group of hedge witches, and your job is to, um, you know, you're conducting a series of tasks and you're not actually what you're doing. Um, and you find out pretty quickly, so I don't consider this a spoiler, that you are gathering for a ritual to either take revenge or, you know, d depending on what you've chosen, your motivation is different. But you're basically going to get even for something that went horribly wrong with your group of fellow uh, native wizards. You're going to get back at the people who have the knowledge about magic. The billionaire magic cabal. Yeah. Screw those guys. J.K. Rowling. You're going to take them down. <laughs> and so a lot of your stuff is, you know, looking around, taking, you know, getting mysterious packages, collecting, you know, deciding what tools you're going to bring on your, uh, you know, kind of magic heist. Um, and although you don't have a ton of decisions that change the narrative. A lot of your decisions change how you're going to 
get out of the heist, how things are going to go down later. So you get to, for example, to choose what you're going to pack, what spells you're going to pack for your heist. You get to choose whether you live in an awesome penthouse or a terrible one. Yeah, that was um, really the most interesting thing about the game was sort of its inventory of magical items. So you could only bring three of them with you, but there were, I think, maybe as many as like 12 and mm-hmm. um, and each of them, you don't really know what it does. You get an interesting description of it. Um, and then in the moment, as you're trying to, you know, attack this wizard cabal, um, y- you can decide to use them or not. And when you use them, you get very interesting descriptions. So, yeah, it's not really like it's not really a strategy game where you're packing these things with a specific strategic purpose in mind. It's more just. Um, it gives you a, a different experience of the same narrative. So, for example, um, uh, one of the things I chose to pack was a uh, a tin full of sparrow dust or sparrow powder, powdered sparrows. And uh, it describes it as having the consistency of chewing tobacco. And when you're escaping after you've committed your, you know, crime um you have the option to snort the powdered sparrows which allows you to fly (laughs) down from the rooftop um you know these really interesting descriptions that were like great magical item descriptions like you might have in a cool dungeons and dragons campaign but in this setting of a um of a sort of a simple choice-based narrative it was it really worked for me urban that's very appealing to me as a dungeon master hey i love the descriptions too um for example, um, if you choose the vial of liquid innocence, uh, you get a description that liquid innocence is clear, almost invisible in its purity. It tastes different each time, always new to the taster. Things like that. It's really lovely. That's pretty good. And when you when you use the liquid innocence, it doesn't make your thoughts innocent. It only makes your face innocent. But it does make people trust you. Yeah. So I, I it's another short game. I think it's... 30 minutes at the most um, at the most and that's if you click on everything um, it is replayable in some sense you can definitely take different choices and get very different chunks of narrative um, so I think you can play two or three times even though you're going to get the same a couple times you'll get repetitive sections so the author says that instead of multiple endings it features a variegated ending with several choices and variations based on your path which I think is a nice mm-hmm. way of putting it it's the same ending each time but many small variations on that ending they give you a slightly different experience so i I really thought it was uh and i think that works for such a short game because yeah if you have 10 different totally different endings then well you don't get to experience most of those unless you play the game through several times but this way you get to get that key experience and then if you want the slight variations you can go through and try other other slight variations yeah the writing is definitely really interesting and it was the strongest writing i think in the group that i i looked at it's definitely writing centric like a novel absolutely i i want to keep an eye out for longer works by that author and maybe with that same system it was it was done using um what was that tool called? Um, Undum. 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 I'm not familiar with Undum, but it's another Twine-like hypertext thing. He had a post about writing in it um, because this, he used Mirror Anarchy as kind of an experiment to learn Undum and how to, to write in it. So it, if you are interested in coding, it's a lot about what's different and what it makes easier. Um, for him, it was easier to have those variable choices where things would 
you know, fade in and out depending on what you selected. He, he chose the elegance of the front end um, in Undum over some of the places where it'd be easier to code because he thought that would help the game. Mm-hmm. I- the transitions really would... And it helps a lot. It is. It's very. It's a very elegant front end. Um, I'd say that the thing about Twine games is that they do have that choose your own adventure feel where you're moving from node to node, from page to page. But this feels like you're reading a story. You can scroll back over your, you know, your basically all the way to the top where you made your very first choice, or, or you know, you can scroll through the entire thing, um, and it's just writing and drawing in at the very bottom of your page. Um, it's a little as if 80 days let you scroll back up. Yeah. So it, it's a, it seems like a nice engine for this sort of thing. Um, I don't know if it's as user-friendly as Twine. Twine seems to be super easy to build with, but um, it looks really nice. I think it's uh, it's got some advantages. So there are three games that weren't considered part of the main festival, um, but were considered part of the back garden. And I'm not really sure why they called them back garden or what set them apart from the main series but they're not being uh, they're not being considered for the main festival prizes or ribbons um and the only one that i think any of us had any experience with was aspel by emily short i had to tap out on this one so i didn't get a chance but do you guys want to describe what that experience was oh shane and i went adventure in a hot air balloon together with about a eight other people which is probably about five too many to play this game but um yeah, so there was really a lot fun. of new things involved in that for me. I, I I got interested in it because I follow Emily Short on Twitter, and she was saying she was going to try um, escorting people through a multiplayer interactive fiction experience that she'd created. And there's a lot of things there that I wanted to try. I've, I, I'm a fan of hers, so I, I wanted to kind of you know, meet her, if, if only in an online space. Um, I wanted to see what multiplayer interactive fiction could be like, because I've never really encountered that. Um, Aspel was kind of, it was hosted on, I guess if you hosted is the right word here, um, on a kind of interactive fiction website called, what was the name of that site? Sin- uh, Seltani. Seltani, which I had never heard of before, but has apparently been around for a few years and is a, uh, is a sort of a online multiplayer uh, interactive fiction version of uh, kind Mist. of the world of Mist, yeah, and which is an interesting fit for that kind of thing because it's a it's an interactive fiction world in which the participants can actually be writing and creating their own interactive fiction worlds that link to one another which is a really clever concept and fits very nicely thematically with the kind of linking books of Mist. Anyway, within that, she's created this experience where, uh, I, I call, I'm calling it an experience, she's created this game where a, a group of people can go in and collectively operate a, um, a big uh, airship um, and kind of navigate it, you know, solving some puzzles that require multiple people, navigate it to this castle, and, and furthermore, solving more puzzles can kind of discover the secrets of that castle and can then report back to the queen uh, and spoiler. decide the fate uh-huh. of, that, of that castle. Yes, spoilers. I don't want to spoil anything about it. Um, so 
there was a lot of unique stuff going on here. Uh, I've never done anything that was like parser IF that was also multiplayer. You know, that's not actually not true. I, I've done MUDs and stuff before, but a long time ago, none none that were in the mold of like a puzzle uh, parser IF. What I uh, think she wrote about that was very interesting was that she was trying to create something where there was um, uh, asymmetric information given to the different players. So some players knew things that other players didn't. And because of that, they had to communicate and cooperate to solve puzzles. Yeah. And you don't know what other people are seeing. Um, On the airship, uh, the air balloon, for example, you are, you know, people could eat different things and it would have a, you know, trigger something in them and everyone else would think they were having a hallucination. Um, I'm I'm trying to speak around. It's very cool. If you play this game, eat anything and everything. Just eat eat it all. You're going to have a lot more fun. Um, and people will think you're going insane. <laughs> well, that's just um, how I live my life generally. Yeah. So yeah. that works out. Yeah. Like Toby, why is the chocolate so good if it's dangerous? Exactly. Same thing. It's the five second rule. If it's been in my field of view for five seconds, then I probably should start eating it. Yeah. yeah. I think that the the issue of different people seeing different things, we got into some trouble in our game because we split up and different people ran around, ate things. You know, didn't realize that they were the only ones getting information. And then we had a large come to Jesus meeting in a courtyard where everyone had to try to remember everything they did. Mm. So if you play this, stick together and talk to each other because you don't know what other people are seeing. You don't know what's special. I kept seeing cool things as a scholar and thinking that everyone was reading the same text I was. Yeah, you mentioned as a scholar, that's something I didn't think we called out. Um, When you first begin the game, you're choosing what sort of character you are. And that's a very consequential decision as things go on, because um, your descriptions that you receive are very much colored by what sort of character class you've chosen. So like a scholar or a a soldier or an engineer, I think, were the choices. Mm -hmm. And I think it's unlike Dungeons and Dragons, where you know what your class gets you and you know the benefits of your class, it's not revealed to you in this game. So, for example, I was looking at statues and seeing background information on the statues. Occasionally it said, would you like to point this out to your friends? And I could hit a button and then a new link would appear that my friends could click on and see what I was seeing. Sometimes that wasn't there. So you never know what special information you're getting. Uh, it really relies on you to communicate with your friends to get the full story. We didn't do a great job. <laughs> that asymmetric nature of the, yeah, that was partially, it was, we had a lot more people. I, I would say like four would be a sweet spot for some something like this. You need to be able to work with everyone uh, cooperative, cooperatively, but you also need to know a little bit about what everybody's doing. Uh, and I think that she kind of addressed that uh, in that write-up she did about how there were certain times where she was trying to create puzzles where things would be triggered in one place and then the result might be seen in another place and things were getting triggered by one person and then noticed by another and then no one realized that they'd even solved a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things like that were happening to us. But you know what? All all, all said and done, this was a really neat uh, game experience and pretty pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was really glad we get to play it. 
That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And I'm sorry, I had I, I signed on and got all my stuff set up and then uh, ended up having to leave because it was during work and had some work things to do. But um, I will try to jump into it again with you guys sometime soon so we can... Uh, She's been making improvements throughout Spring Thing, so uh, apparently the game is even better than when we played it. Awesome. Well, let's give it a try again soon. And you can find a link to it on the Spring Thing page, which of course we'll have a link to in the show notes. So all of the games that we just discussed are either free or really easy to get. Um, so every game as a part of Spring Thing, you can get from the Spring Thing website, and most of them can be played online. Um, every game that was a part of the IF Comp and Zizzy Awards that we just mentioned, um, you can find a link to in the show notes. Most of those are free. Others are commercial, like 80 Days and Hadean Lands, but all of those are pretty cheap, and you can play them on your smartphone or whatever device you've got, um, as well as most of them you can also play on a computer or what have you. Um, so this is a really exciting scene that unfortunately doesn't get a lot of attention from a lot of the, uh, the video game press or from the video game playing public because it has this sort of literary bent. But hopefully things like the Zizi Awards, Spring Thing, and the IF Comp will help focus some attention on the really exciting things happening here. Yeah, and before we wrap up, I just want to give a quick shout out to Aaron Reed, who organizes Spring Thing. Um, he's a good author in his own right. He just put out a game called Hollywood Visionary that I've picked up and I'm really excited to play. Um, giant game about uh, you producing movies. Um, and he's also doing Icebound, which is that augmented reality oh. IF game that I can't wait to get my hands on. Yeah, you mentioned months. that. And I'm really excited to play that when it comes out. Um, I, I missed the, uh, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or what other crowdfunding thing it was, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. So we'll try to have a link to that in the if show notes too. we're doing shout outs, I'm going to send a shout out to To Be or Not To Be, which I'm finally getting around to playing the, oh, uh, yes. the game version of, uh, of that. Um, came out in choose your own adventure book form uh, a while back after a Kickstarter by Ryan North, the creator of Dinosaur Comics. Totally hilarious. Uh, choose your own adventure version of Hamlet. Uh, that's all that needs to be said, but it's, it's so funny. Play as Ophelia. Play as Hamlet's father. <laughs> dozens and dozens of endings. I played that too. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, possibly an episode. Yeah, we'd love to talk about that maybe on a future episode. And maybe even some of the other games we'll talk about in more depth on future episodes if we get a chance. Um, so uh, if you want to follow our show... Uh, you can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, and that's the best way you can support the show. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and leave reviews. That is the best way for you to support the short game if you think that what we're doing is at all interesting. Um, but, of course, you can also send us feedback at info at theshortgame.net or on Twitter. That's at underscore shortgame. You can find all of the show notes and links that we've been discussing at our website. That's www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of our past episodes as well. We like to think of our stuff as sort of evergreen, so take a look over our back catalog and if there's games there that you want to hear about you can go back and listen to old episodes and of course you can follow us all individually i've been your host reagan kelly and you can follow me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k laura where can people find you you can also find me on twitter i'm at laura j nash and nate where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And Shane, my bro host, where can people find you? I'm at 8BitShane. All right. And thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to go out and play slash read some cool interactive fiction uh, from Spring Thing or someplace else and catch us next week on another episode of The Short Game.